Hi there and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast for sales leaders. My name is Jonathan Eilert and I'm the VP of Sales for UK and Ireland at Cognizant and I'm going to be one of your hosts. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behaviour has changed. We'll be unpacking why these trends and changes are important for Outbound and I really hope that you enjoy the episode. Welcome guys to today's podcast um, for Redefining Outbound. I'm joined today with um, Rory Sadler, CEO of Trumpet. Um, for anyone who's been under a rock, it was probably one of the most successful fundraisers and exciting um, SaaS buyer enablement technologies to come out of the UK. So Rory, um, great to have you on. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Cool. Um, Rory, do you mind just giving a little bit of backdrop into for anyone who isn't aware like what Trumpet does and also a little bit of background into yourself as well? Yeah, yeah. The, the high level elevator pitch. So um, our big focus is uh, to build better buyer journeys that generate more revenue. We do that with the concept of microsites, interactive, collaborative, automatically personalized spaces that sales, CS and commercial teams can spin up in less than 30 seconds to provide a one link journey from cold outreach to onboarding. So that's the quick pitch. My background, six years in B2B SaaS sales, uh, led the European sales team at Hotjar, so lived and breathed sales and also the problems that Trump is solving day in, day out of my career. Amazing. Tell you what, it's in sales, Rory. That's a good elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, Rory, do you mind actually just while on the topic of like what Trumpet does, do you mind just like delving into like what a microsite is? Because I think it's, we can see like a lot of, I see it as a, as a buyer, like a lot of sellers now utilizing something like this. Like for anyone who isn't aware, like do you mind just going into a bit of detail about what that is and what you are looking to solve? Um, yeah, microsite. It's a mini website, basically. Um, so it, some people call it a, a workspace, a hub, a deal room. A, some even use it as a landing page. It basically provides a center point for a salesperson and their stakeholders in the deal, typically the champion, to um, be able to collaborate, share content, um, and become that central point of reference. Because let's face it, buying software gets pretty messy. Lots goes on in a, you know a 60, 90 day cycle, even beyond that. And these days there's so much to consider in that process as well um lots of back and forth so a microsite facilitates that yeah so one of the topics rory we got for this this podcast is around like redefining outbound and with a particular focus on like different channels and how people are engaging with different content i think like based on what you guys do that's like just super super interesting topic to go into so with like microsites like how have you seen buyers like take information has, has there been a change in terms of how people like to digest information or how you see sellers should be pushing across information to potential buyers yeah it's a, it's a really relevant topic and very interesting question especially in this current climate i i think what's made this top of mind for every sales leader out there is email outreach has increased 70 percent in the last couple of years but reply rates have dropped 30 percent. so everyone's looking left and right like what do we do i think it's been far too easy to take that spray and pray approach. Let's add lots of contacts to a sequence, hit send, hope for the best. It's all about quantity. I think those days are kind of behind us. So very, I think the, the best approach is taking folks on quality of outreach, not quantity. Um, so going deep, standing out from the crowd, doing things different, whether that is direct mail, that is gifting, voice notes on LinkedIn, you know, even sending a letter, anything that can help. And microsites are also facilitating that. Um, inherently, microsites are difficult to build. They take time um, and you would typically use it for a post-discovery or demo conversation where there is interest. But in a salesperson's dream world, you would love to say, hey, John, here's what we do. Here's my calendar link. Here's a quick demo recording. Here's some client logos, everything in one space for you. Um, but you can't do that in email because spam filters will just send that straight 
out of their inbox. A one-link journey, a, a, a pod, as we call them, a trumpet, a microsite can actually facilitate that. So it's automatic, personalized, auto-branded. It stands out very similar to when you share a Loom video or anything like that. So if you can send a buyer, hey, here's what we do in a snapshot, but it's just one link, there's a higher chance that they'll be able to view it. Then you start to get those async insights, as we call them. So the buyer checking out the, the microsite, they're interacting in it as well. So you start to understand, is their engagement? Are they actually interested? Giving you intent data of, should I continue prospecting this contact or, or opportunity? I've got really, like, we know that like buyers, like the number of people that are involved in decisions, like massively increasing. And like with the idea of like a micro site, like how are you seeing information being distributed on the buyer side? Um, like, is there a preference that you're seeing in terms of um, like PDFs or videos, or is it, is it really dispersed in terms of how people are sharing information internally? Yeah, interesting one. I think one of the main reasons we, we built Trumpet was we wanted to ditch the PDF. I think they're pretty old school pieces of, uh, of software these days and they're just a bit flat and not very engaging, but PDFs will always exist. Um, I think we're helping to alleviate the pressure to create PDFs, but I think that alone and even content alone, buyer behavior has changed. They're spending less and less time with salespeople, average seven to 11 stakeholders involved in a deal. Indecision is leading to most deals falling through because there is such an overwhelming amount of information out there, lots of competition, difficult to find pricing. There's, there's all sorts going on. And if you go and buy something from Amazon, one click checkout, it's there tomorrow. And that kind of experience people want in the world of B2B, very difficult to happen, but that's why you're seeing lots of large companies take a shift towards PLG. doesn't mean they're fully PLG, but they are trying to make it easier for buyers to buy. That's what everyone should be focusing on. Um, so how you distribute content information, micro demos is a big one at the moment, even interactive demos with the likes of Arcade and Storylane. Anything you can facilitate to say, look, here's what we do, high level overview. Um, I think providing that in a seamless way is super important because forcing people onto calls and having to reply via emails, it's not always working. So if you can equip a point of contact, whether they be a champion or you know the decision maker at that business, with one link with everything in it and they can easily share that to their team we're seeing that's where you get quicker engagement and high levels of engagement as well got you got you so it seems like what you're touching on is like from an outside perspective like the the power dynamic is shifting from like sellers to buyers like do you see that taking place in any other areas or any other themes that you're seeing um away from like content distribution yeah i think so I, I... I think before it was a very gated process that like we will share pricing once we have a discovery call with you and once we find out certain bits of information and once you brought in the powers that be, then we can start, you know, sharing what onboarding it's like, whatever it kind of looks like in terms of your, your sales process. But buyers now have lots of opportunity to look at lots of other vendors and find information on you without having to speak to you direct. Buyers have done 77% of their research before speaking to salespeople. So when they get on that call, they kind of know what you do. And that's, I think, what's like happening at the moment is salespeople presume that they don't, but buyers like, no, no, I know what you do. I just want to see if there's a fit. Um, so they're starting to control and navigate the journey a bit more. Um, but we basically have to meet them where they are and accept that's what's happening. Have frank conversations and say, cool, you're obviously on this call today because you know what we do. I'm not going to give you the heavy pitch. How can I help you decide if this is a fit? And that's, I think, the approach that we're seeing lots of companies take at the moment. Got you. So you touched on like 
an approach and a big theme at the moment is like PLG and like the battle between sales led and PLG. Like obviously you've just founded this company, like need to get that initial traction. Like I believe as well, like you had, was it over like two, over 2000 customers that you've got today? Um, like how, how did you go around that to get such a quick, like quick interest and get that, that momentum going? Was that mainly PLG led and how have you approached it from a sales led approach now as you've started scaling up the team? Yeah, it's, um, it's an ongoing conversation internally. PLG isn't something that you achieve overnight. It's something you're always iterating on and improving. But we knew that we wanted to make it easy for salespeople to build these beautiful buyer journeys because let's face it, salespeople aren't designers, aren't terrible at design. So if we can help them create a one-link buyer journey in seconds, that's powerful. But getting them to that point as well, education and onboarding and creating that aha moment, it's called like the time to value was always a big focus for us. How we did that, we looked at best-in-class tools out there, things like Monday.com, Notion, Slack, everything, all the, the big players, because they've got hundreds of people working on UX research, design. So we just leveraged that to see, okay, what can we learn from their, um, from their go-to-market approach and, and POG? So when we launched Trumpet, we wanted everyone to be able to have a, a play around with it. You know, um, I didn't want to gate access. Um, if it's a new way of selling, you should be able to try it first. And I think that's once you've got a tool in your hand, that's where you know if it's a fit or not. That naturally evolved into us seeing, you know, big names, big domains, signing up, um, key ICPs, and we were then able to reach out and say, hey, we know that you probably can't go and fully self-serve, but there's some interest here. Is it helpful if we dive deep into your use cases, understand why, you know, what piqued your interest, and then share with you how Trump is helping the likes of so-and-so achieve, you know, shorten sales cycles, increase conversions, and better buyer journeys. So, that was that was always the plan and fortunately we've been able to execute on that pretty quickly got you and what's your view on like plg in terms of having like a corporate team access like do you view that plg for individual users like you need to restrict functionality and features or are you very much in the mindset it should be the complete product but it's just servicing like the individual i'm always interested in like because for me, like we're in the process at the moment of just like reevaluating, like is is a PLG a fit for our organization? I think that's one of the key key things that I've seen other people discuss as well. Is like really limiting limiting features and then upselling the org on additional features. I'd just love to know how Trump have kind of tackled that. Yeah, it's it's definitely aligned with that approach. I think salespeople are notorious for going and trying out tools without asking permission from procurement and security and every everyone like that. So why would we want to? prevent that happening we want them to take trumpet and be able to get some value from it and then champion it internally um it's that was always very intentional um if you look into the world of plg one of the biggest success stories is calendly that was one of calendly's biggest drivers of growth was letting someone internally get full access all the brilliant features but be able to take it on individually become a champion of the product and go and sell it internally the calendly didn't need a big sales team um and it's something you know we're aware of and trying to emulate to a certain degree. Um, but for us, yeah, we don't feature gate so much. We um, gate on well the, the prices, the price points are based on usage. Um, so um, pods you can share with the world. Mm. Um, so I think letting someone experience the full potential of the platform integrations, analytics, capabilities is um, quite intentional on our front. But we know that after a certain amount of usage. That's where we start to say it's about time you pay because you've probably got a good amount of value within that period. 
Um, very similar to Slack and um, Notion, you know, there, there's a sort of usage base. You hit a, t- a cap on how many messages you sent or how much text you've written in Notion or anything like that. So ongoing topic. I don't think we've ever got the, the final answer or the golden ticket. Um, but um, yeah, I think so far it's proven, proven to work. People get value pretty quickly and we don't gate features, which for us is value within the platform. Cool. So back to the topic, like redefining outbound, like you're building out, I see you hired like your first day, you had like 400 applicants for it, like amazing, amazing traction. Like, do you view that outbound is changing as a result of PLG and how companies are building their account lists initially? And how are you approaching that from like an outbound perspective? Is it truly outbound in the sense or is it kind of like intent led as to how you're approaching your outbound? Yeah, it's a a really um, good question. I think sales five years ago was heavy outbound, not necessarily spray and pray, but you were going for the masses, but now we're fortunate enough to have intent data, which I know Cognizant does a brilliant job of. And you can basically take a much more like educated approach to who you're outreaching. I, I'm a very big advocate for hyper-personalization, making sure it's relevant. It is value-add messaging. Timely is always a difficult one, but you know it can be done. Um, but ABM style going really deep into an organization, especially if you're selling into you know, mid-market enterprise where there's potentially lots of stakeholders who might be involved and you're still trying to work out who's got the final say. I think focusing um, on account-based um, outreach is the way to go in this current market. Um, it's, it's too, too easy to, to spray and pray. Um, but because of multi-channel, multi-format, um, there's plenty of opportunity to diversify and stand out. It actually doesn't take much. Yeah. Like I think salespeople think I just need to focus on that one liner in my first email. Every single email in that sequence needs personalization. And it really, honestly, it doesn't, it doesn't take much. Like video is great. You can spin up interactive demos where someone can click through um, what you do. That's also free out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and voice notes. If I get a voice note, how can I ignore that? You know, someone's taking the time to send a nice personalized message. So um, I, I also think that people give up too quickly. So they'll send a few voice notes to be like, it didn't work. You need to go at that for two months. Just like commit to it, make it a habit. You'll then start to evaluate the results. And when I worked at Hotjar, we were always experimenting. Each quarter, every rep would take on an experiment, try something different, you know, optimize, increase efficiencies or stand out. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's, um, we see the, the reps who really want to get into presence club and everything, go the extra mile and know that doing what everyone else is doing, there's no time for that these days. Yeah, I was going to say like, we had a, so, 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 so true. Like we had a rep that started calling people on Microsoft teams and it was just completely, completely out of the ordinary, but it, it was working, it was breaking the noise and it was something that was very, very unique and different. Yeah. And yeah. Fully, fully agree. The idea of like personalization, I'm always interested, like you're building your outbound function. Like what role do you think that um, like sequencing tools and like the likes of outreach and sales off, like how do you see them playing a part? Do you think that that's the old way of selling or do you think that they're still useful, but like you need to really, like you said, like really focus on that like personalized aspect. Like how do you see them playing a part in the future? Yeah, they will 100% always play a part. Like the value that they created, you you can't really emulate it, whether it's a sales loft, a lemonist, ample market, all of them are brilliant in their, in their own right. I just think the 
creating a you know 10-step email sequence with a couple of LinkedIn connection requests or messages and adding the, the first name, the company name, and hitting send once. That's what's the problem. Mm. There should be more manual steps in there. So even though it's an email, you need to go to that email, do the five minutes of research and whatever that research involves, mm. personalize the email. So, you know, if you were to follow up with everyone manually, it's just not possible. There is always still the volume play to sales, but I think just being more diligent and spending extra time on these leads is important. So yeah, they, they de they're definitely a massive time saver. Um, so that can't be ignored. It's just finding the balance. Yeah, so, so true. So I saw one of your customers that you got is Sky. Um, so a very, very big enterprise account. Like how would you advise like companies today to approach these large enterprises do you think it's really like a bottom-up approach or top-down like or is it the organization needs to have some plg incorporated into it to get that usage to start it like how are you how are you orchestrating like that bigger mid-market enterprise um space yeah i don't think we are in a position yet to say this is our sales playbook that's how we're approaching mid-market enterprise differently i think we're still experimenting all the time and that's the approach i encourage RAEs to take is um you know don't ask for permission um and ask for forgiveness yeah and it's you know if you think it's going to work try it fortunately trumpet is a tool which we use ourselves to sell it stands out we know it gets um, great engagement but we do bottom up we let people get access play around with it champion it internally whilst we are also going at the, the sort of top-down approach because we know you can have the best champion in the world, the real evangelist, the advocate, you know, they're using the product, even on the free plan, they love it, they're getting value. You will still face procurement, you will still face security, you will still face the CFO. And if you just think that a champion can navigate all of that for you, that's naive. So you need to make that champion's life easy and say, look, I want you to get as much value from the product as possible. And I really appreciate you being an adopter of it, but let's work together. Who do you think I need to speak to internally? And have you ever bought software before? They probably haven't because most people haven't. There is no, when you join a company, you're not taught how to buy software. Um, very rare that most startups and scale-ups even have procurement teams. So that's our job as salespeople is to help educate the champion, make their life easy as well. Yeah, 100%. So when it comes to um, like distributing content, um, do you see like different content? So I'm always interested for like an A as an example, like they've done the demo, um, they need to share some kind of information with the champion or the buyer. Like what kind of content do you see resonating at the moment with um, like at the different stages of the sales cycle? Is there a particular format or um, yeah, piece of like, I'm thinking more like video, email, um, text, like visionaries, like case studies. Like, do you think there's what, what, plays a part of different parts of the sales cycle and where have you seen success? Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems we're seeing organizations trying to shift away from is they've, they've approached post demo conversations as let's overwhelm the buyer with all this content that we've got. And, you know, some companies are, are very fortunate to have lots of case studies and white papers and, and resources and reports. And they just, so people are like, oh, this counts as a touch point. And it's like, Hey, I'm following up. Here's an interesting case study. And they're just dumping it on the buyer. Buyers do not have time to digest all of this. And it's actually overwhelming for them. Um, and we, you know, it's naive again of us to assume that they want to read this and go through it all. 
So I'm a big advocate for sense-making sales, helping buyers make sense of what is a very, very complicated journey, giving them the right information at the right time in the right format. And that's the key bit. So for example, we were speaking recently with Charlotte from SalesLoft, who's brilliant. And what I really sort of rated about her approach after the call was sending micro demos. I was like, that's brilliant. I can, I know that sending, you know, and I, I always say this to everyone, never send an hour long demo that you've just recorded to that champion. Re-record a five minute highlights. This is what you said. This is where I think, you know, is most relevant. If you want to watch the full hour demo, it's also, you know, here for you, but I'm summarizing it here. Video is great. Um, voice notes as well, wherever you can send them. Um, and then with content, it's sharing it, but pulling out the most relevant bits of information. If you're a large organization, there's a chance that you also have similar businesses in their field uh, or industry. That's validation. That always lands brilliantly. Everyone wants to know what someone else is doing that they can relate to. Um, but sending, you know, four, five, 10, 20 pager case study report, whatever it might be, or even a 20 minute interview that's on YouTube, share it, but pull out the key highlights for them. Um, because that's, you know, people are short of time. So make it easy for them. That's super useful. I've been bombarded after damage with endless endless irrelevant um case studies and materials so that yeah. really really resonates um right i know we're, we're approaching the end of end of the um end of the podcast but i'd love to know like you just you're obviously hiring your sales reps at the moment there's amazing talent out out on the market like what are you particularly looking for in like your account executives and your sdrs um because they're, they're such critical hires for you good question um something we really focus on is someone who's natural, like a natural salesperson. It's not meant to sound as cringe as that, but when you're having a conversation with them, you don't feel like you're being sold to. I think humanizing sales is something that's also being spoken about a lot at the moment, and it is very important. We don't want anyone that comes through our sales funnel to feel like they're going through a process or they're being like heavily sold to. Um, it's very much about education, making sure there is a fit, um, making sure that they understand the value and why they're exploring buyer enablement and microsites and everything like that. So when we look for people joining the team, they're biocentric, they're very big, like customer first. One of our um, big values is being absolutely obsessed with our customers and they're restless in the pursuit of growth. So they go above and beyond. They don't want to get into a routine because routine leads to complacency. So people who are always like challenging the status quo and they have the mindset to work at a startup. I think lots of companies speak about culture fit. Let's find more of the same people. That's cookie cutter. Working at a startup is not easy. You need the right mindset because as you've, you've experienced at Cognizant, like no day is the same. Sometimes there's fires to fight. You're wearing lots of hats. Your job description does not match up to what you're doing. So people who want to embrace that and know that they can create their own destiny again not meant to sound kind of cringe at all but that's the opportunity of working at a startup and i think we're in a very fortunate position like salespeople selling to salespeople is pretty tricky but you can have quite a frank conversation and um yeah i think just being human about it was always uh, something we looked for amazing i was gonna say it's some of the most successful candidates we've seen is exactly that kind of point you said when we're early stages like that entrepreneurial like flair um because you're right it's no day is the same, right? It's going to be completely, completely different. Um, sorry, just closing remark, just in terms of what, what kind of trends do you see for 2023? Is there anything in particular that you see stand out? It might be something we've already covered today, but is there any like major thing that you think is going to be very prevalent in 23? Buyer enablement. It's talk of the town right now. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think 
people are starting to review their sales process and um, and their you know can we make it can we make our product more accessible you know can we share our pricing because it's gated before people have to book a demo and they know that when people buyers get to their page and they see they can't access it they might start looking elsewhere and I think that's the shift that we're seeing across businesses in terms of sales um, it's being providing like uh, being proactive with sharing information. So saying, I know that this is going to come up later down the line, security reviews and questionnaires. Let's start that now because we don't, you know, you're the champion, you want this to happen. Let's not let that delay things. Um, so I think AEs, salespeople being more proactive and helping to guide the buyer along that journey, mutual action plans are absolutely flying at the moment as well. So anything to help create visibility of what's coming beyond the proposal, but also make that journey easier for the buyer. That's the big focus at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I fully relate. Um, yeah, 100%. So Rory, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, and guys, yeah, um, we'll be releasing more podcasts over the coming weeks with amazing entrepreneurs like Rory. So do stay tuned. Um, and thanks for your time.